So in case you were wondering, that was Nate and Kayla Arnold, and Bob and Jamie helped, if you're going to contact them. Nate and Kayla, Bob and Jamie. You know, it's really exciting what God is doing at the bridge and what God has done at the bridge. Um, it is amazing. You know, Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It meant some people would go. And it is amazing how many people we have at the bridge, and ex- especially the 20-somethings who are saying, I want to go, send me. And um, we've had a number already. We have a bunch of people right now who are just interested in what God wants them to do in the future. And uh, we have a new missions team that's very excited about this. And it's our job as a church to steward the resources God has given us. Uh, He's given us some financial resources and he's given us people resources. So uh, let's just trust God together for the future. Bridge Kids, one day it may be you that God will send. So go to Bridge Kids now and be equipped. If today happens to be your first time at the bridge, we are in Exodus chapter 18. We've been in a series in the book of Exodus. We're moving to chapter 20, and we're going to, after 20 chapters of the book of Exodus, we're going to be introduced to the Ten Commandments, which is extremely significant to all of the Bible in the New Testament. And uh, then we're going to stop at chapter 20. But we are in Exodus chapter 18. If you grabbed a Bible on the way in, that's on page 51. This past spring, journalist Katie Couric gave a commencement speech to University of Wisconsin-Madison, and she offered advice to the new graduates, and she warned them about constant connectivity. It's kind of a newer problem, or at least an issue. And here's what she said. Do not be seduced by false intimacy of social media. Comfort and support can be found in online communities, but they cannot replace the humanity of real ones. I used to tell graduates that no one on their deathbed ever said, gee, I wish I'd spent more time in the office. The 2015 version of that should be, No one on their deathbed ever said, gee, I wish I'd spent more time on my iPhone. So what do you think? Is that good advice? Is it possible to focus too much on external validation that comes from social media with carefully crafted Instagrams, clever posting, perfect pictures, counting our likes, our favorites, our followers and friends? Is it possible for people to get so caught up in social media that it is easy to avoid some of the big questions in life like, who am I? Am I doing the right thing? Am I becoming the kind of person that I want to be? Am I growing as a person? Katie Couric had some good advice. Do you like to get advice? Do you like to get unsolicited advice? You know, when people come up and they get your attention and you weren't asking for advice, but they were willing to help you out. In our passage today, Moses receives unsolicited advice from his father-in-law. Now, my father-in-law went to heaven in 1992. 
Occasionally, he would offer me advice. It was usually about how to be a better husband, how to be a better father, or even how to be a better pastor. Now, I was pretty careful about taking advice from him because, you know, I wasn't always sure that he was very far ahead of me uh, in these areas. So I was pretty skeptical. And of course, in my early days of marriage, when I wasn't a believer, I thought everything he said was pretty foolish. His intentions were good. Now that I'm a father-in-law, I have learned, I guess that's because I gave some advice early that nobody asked for, but I have learned to be very cautious about giving advice to my children or to their spouses. Um, And I usually wait until or if someone asks me for advice. So we're going to look at how Moses handles receiving advice from his father-in-law. I'm going to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 18. We begin with the family reunion. You have an outline of your program. I would encourage you to follow along. The setting is in verse 1, in Exodus 18, verse 1. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses. So here we're introduced to Jethro. Uh, He is the priest of Midian. And uh, We know this uh, from uh, earlier passages, but we don't know a whole lot about his faith. What does it mean that he was a priest of Midian? This is really early in history of God's people. And is he one of God's people? And likely he's probably not real clear on this. And he probably has some ideas about the true and living God, but they're only ideas and they're not really in a necessarily a healthy context. In fact, the Midianites were idol worshipers generally as a group. So they had, they were all over the board on spiritual things. There's some things that seem to be pretty solid about Jethro. Now let's look at the, we've got to have a map. It's appropriate. So a little history here. Uh, Moses was raised in Egypt, remember, the first 40 years of his life. And uh, then he's banned from Egypt, and he's sent uh, to, okay, this, he's going to be sent to Midian, but this map doesn't have Midian. We'll get to that in a little bit. And, um, oh, Midian, there it is. I'm sorry. It was the microphone stand was in the way. I couldn't see Midian. So there's Midian. You see how far that is? And I'm sorry sorry that we don't have a... uh, to tell you how many miles that is. But um, so Moses floods Egypt. He goes to Midian and he's going to stay there 40 years and become a shepherd. He's going to get married. And he's going to have two sons. Then he's going to go back to Egypt. And then uh, God's people are centered in that Goshen area. And then, then Moses will lead the people out. And last week we were down at Rephidim and uh, there uh, he, Moses and the Israelites met the Amalekites. Remember that? And they're positioned right before Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. And they're going to they're gonna wander down toward Mount Sinai. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to be on the mountain. That means probably they can see the mountain, and they're in that area, and they can see the mountain in the, in the distance. Um, we know about Jethro that he is called Ruel in chapter 2. That's where we meet him. And he's also called Jethro. We see that in chapter 4, verse 18. Now we see the reason for the reunion also in verse 1. Jethro heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. 
Jethro had heard about the powerful work of God. There was a great story here. It wasn't just a story. It was reality. Jethro was aware. Remember, he's a father-in-law. And, you know, this guy comes from Egypt, and he wants to marry your daughter, and you give him away, and you probably like Moses, but you probably are really worried about Moses a little bit, too. He's not exactly what you pictured for your daughter. And Jethro was likely aware of God's call on Moses' life way back in Exodus chapter 3. So um, Jethro is down in Midian, and he's far away from Egypt and far away from the Israelites, and um, he's waiting news. News traveled very slowly in those days. They didn't have social media. He had to wait for a caravan or a few travelers straggling through. Any news? What's the latest news? And then information would trickle back to Jethro. And he probably had bits and pieces, some of it true, some of it not true. He'd he'd heard rumors. Are they stories? Are they tall tales? Jethro is anxious to hear an eyewitness account. So the context, verses 2 through 4 Look at verse 2. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. So setting up this context is a little bit difficult because we don't have this part of the story. We don't know, you know, we knew he was married, but we haven't heard about Zipporah for a long time. And um, he was probably married most of those 40 years that he was in the desert. Certainly 30 plus years, I would guess, while he was in the desert. And he had those, he had two sons. So apparently, sometime early after Moses' arrival in Egypt to lead God's people out, this is probably a year or less, he probably sent Zipporah away, maybe for safety issues, his concern. Maybe they were fighting. I don't know. Remember last time we hear of Zipporah? She was pretty upset with Moses. And probably for something like safety, take, take the boys and go, go to your dad's. And so uh, they went back to Midian, and now Jethro's going to return. He, you know, he's heard a lot of good things. It seems safe now to come to meet Moses and to be with the Israelites. And uh, we learn in verse 3, her two sons, one son was named Gershom, and Moses said, I've become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he was my father's God. My father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. So we have Zipporah, Moses' wife. We have Gershom, Moses' first son. And that means foreigner. This is really probably Moses describing his life during this time. Because he had left Egypt, remember? And he was kind of on the run. He was banished. He didn't really have a plan for the future. He ends up with wilderness. It's not going to be fun living in the desert. And uh, he's banished. And he's a foreigner. And he's alone. And... Um, good news is he gets married. Most of us need to be married. And um, he has a son named that, uh, Gershom, and then he has another son. And he calls him Eliezer. God is my help. This is about what Moses learning how God provided for him and how God protected him and how God was leading him. 
And he began to see God at work. God is my help. Location of the reunion, verses 5 and 6. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses, sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness. Just think of wilderness and desert are synonymous. Where he was camped near the mountain of God. Pretty important mountain. It's a mountain of God. This would be uh, Mount Horeb, which is also called Mount Sinai. And Moses, will, if you've seen the movie, he receives the Ten Commandments here, but we aren't there yet. Verse 6, Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, it's a good thing he told them his name, am coming to you with your wife and two, two sons. So Jethro sent word ahead. This would be appropriate etiquette, you know, sending an emissary ahead, announcing your arrival. And that would be proper, and people could make arrangements for your arrival. It's probably a larger group, probably not just four people. Um, so, uh, yeah, got a map up there again. Be clear where Mount Horeb is, where Mount Sinai is. That is the mountain of God. We should probably put another name up there too, mountain of God. The reunion happens in verses 7 and 8. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they greeted each other and they went into the tent. I have never bowed down to greet my father-in-law, nor have, did I ever kiss him. But this was appropriate for the time. It was a way to welcome an honored guest like Jethro. What I take from this, Jethro really is an honored guest. He really is a high-valued person, not just because he's trying to be nice because it's dad, but, but I gather that Moses has learned from Jethro along the way, and uh, he's valued uh, a lot about Jethro's character. Verse 8, Moses uh, told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. This probably took hours, hours to tell this story. He told them about the ten plagues, one after another, and all the trips to Pharaoh to announce what was happening and say, let my people go. And he told them about the miracles and God's power on display and the work of God against the gods of Egypt and how, how the uh, magician, Egyptian magicians tried and they failed. And they, they, they couldn't compete with the true and living God. He told them about um, getting their back to the Red Sea, and all of a sudden, the power of God separates the sea, and God's people walk through on dry land, and that was amazing. And then here comes the Egyptian army, and God's powerful hand, just at the right time, in the perfect way, in the perfect place, closes the sea on the Egyptian army. And then God led them into the wilderness into the desert, and that was hard, and it was hot, and, it, and they got thirsty, and they, it seemed like they were going to die, and people complained, and God provided water over and over and over, and God provided manna, and God provided quail. He, Moses told Jethro the whole story, one event after the other, how God had led them 
how God provided for them, how God had delivered them from slavery out of Egypt. Moses shared the good news. God saved us. Moses was sharing good news. And if you haven't seen it already, there's a huge theme in the book of Exodus about God delivering his people that we carry into the New Testament about God delivering his people. In the Old Testament, it was from bondage to slavery to Pharaoh. In the New Testament, it's about bondage and slavery to sin and deliverance from the power of Satan. There's a huge theme going on here. And Moses shared this good news, how God had saved his people, how God had delivered his people, how God had made a new community. Remember that? They got a new month, a beginning month, and uh, they, they headed out and God was making them a nation and he's going to give them a constitution and a law that's coming. He's made them a new community. This was a powerful story about God. It was good news for a wilderness life. Verses 9 through 12, we come to the response to the good news. First, the good news is embraced. Verse 9, Jethro was delighted to hear all the good things the Lord had done for Israel, rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. This is pretty amazing. Jethro is not a Hebrew. He's a Midianite. And he's hearing about the true and living God, and he's excited to hear about it. Wouldn't that be normal? Well, Pharaoh heard about the true and living God. In fact, Pharaoh saw front row seat about the true and living God. And Pharaoh wasn't excited to hear about the true and living God. And the Egyptian army had a front row seat about the true and living God and the ten plagues of Egypt and how God led them and delivered Israel. They didn't want to know more. They didn't get excited about learning about God. And then there were the Amalekites, You know, rumors spread to the Amalekites that here come the Israelites and God is leading them and and God has delivered them and done great things in Egypt. The Amalekites weren't excited about that. They attacked God's people. Jethro embraces. He is excited. Verse 10, the God of salvation is praised and this is worship. This is what Jethro said. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. This is a fitting response to the work of God. These are words of worship. It is praise given to God. It is credit given to whom it is due. This is a heart that has received this whole... uh, story of God's love and protection and care and leadership. Verse 11, the profession of faith in the God of the Exodus. Verse 11, now I know the Lord is greater than all the other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. This is a real profession of faith. Perhaps Jethro has been a seeker to this point. Perhaps he's been, in the New Testament, sometimes we see that somebody was a God-fearer. That is, they had some information about God, and they took it seriously, and um, they were seeking to sort of honor God, but they still didn't have enough information. And sometimes we see in the New Testament, 
that the gospel would come to a God-fearer and they would, it was easy for them to embrace because they knew that God was about something and that God was real and God was going to be doing something and that God was going to be sending a Savior. And then they heard about Jesus and it was just easy for them to embrace. This is what we kind of see as an Old Testament connection. It's way different than we do in the New Testament. They didn't know about Jesus yet. It's not clear on every generation what was expected from every generation to respond by faith. Jethro responds to the good news by faith. And now he knows. Any questions that Jethro has had in the past about whether this was the real, true, and living God and whether he was separate and unique and greater than all the other gods, these questions have now been answered. Likely before, even if Jethro had heard about the true and living God and was seeking in some way to honor the true and living God as the priest of Midian. Midian was a place of polytheism, many gods. Likely, Jethro was open to that. Um, He says, now I know the Lord is greater than all other gods. Because... It was very clear when God brought his people out of Egypt, he was defeating the gods of Egypt as well. Demonically empowered deities of Egypt. Celebration of salvation, verse 12. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought burnt offerings and other sacrifices to God. This is an act of honor and worship before God. The sacrificial system had not been uh, established at this point. It's coming. There's going to be in the law, Moses is going to receive from God very clear directions about establishing a worship system that's very complicated and it will include animal sacrifice, but it has not been established or implemented at this time. We have in the Old Testament, we have examples of the patriarchs like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where they would honor God with a sacrifice. It was a way to remember. It was a way to show God's uh, sort of uh, part in, in, in a person's life, God's ownership on their life. It was, a, it was an act of worship back. It was an act of sacrifice. And that's what Jethro does here. And uh, let's not uh, try to judge him that he did it right or wrong. So Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought in a burnt offering and other sacrifices. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. This is really unusual. Jethro is not a Hebrew. Now Moses and Aaron are bringing him with the elders like you're one of us now. And they are going to eat before God. And this is a, a celebration, a a worship experience about the goodness of God. And this demonstrates that Moses and Aaron and the elders welcomed Jethro as one of them. Not only did God deliver Israel, but he, he has now delivered Jethro. Verses 13 through 27, here comes the leadership lesson. Here, here comes the advice from the, Moses' father-in-law, First, we see in verse 13, just an average day at the office, 
Look at verse 13. This might be the next day, very soon. When Moses went to the office as usual. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. Look, Moses was just doing what the people wanted. Moses was helping his people. Moses was serving his people. Moses worked hard, and he put in long hours. Moses imparted wisdom and just decisions to the people. And they brought cases before him. They needed answers. Is this right or is this right? Or he says this and he says that. Who's right? And Moses gave his whole time to trying to help his people. So what's the problem? Verse 14, an unexpected consultant. Look at verse 14. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what you're doing, what is this you are doing for the people? Moses, 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 this is not a good use of your time. Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you morning till evening? Moses, you're a good guy. You're important to your people. Moses, you work hard. But Moses, guess what? You can't do it all. You need help. Verses 15 and 16, an explanation is given. Moses answered him because the people come to me and seek God's help. That's important, isn't it? People want help. That's important. The people are important. I can help them. That's important. What I do is good. Verse 16, whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Now, all the law has, hasn't been given yet, but they have been uh, moving in this camp for week after week. They have, uh, they have an idea of right and wrong and honesty. Those have been values of God's people from the beginning. Murder goes way back to Noah. They knew not to murder each other. There's quite a bit of information among God's people about what's right and what's wrong. Not everything was written down yet. Um, but Moses is the mediator between God and man, and they're coming to him to hear from God. And it seems like it's really important work. So the people seek God's will, and Moses gives them answer. That's good, isn't it? It's important stuff. Problem identified, verses 17 and 18. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you're doing is not good. What do you mean it's not good? You ever feel that way when somebody gives you advice, and you're doing something really well, and you're working really hard, and you're really tired, and somebody says it's not good? I could just feel the hair on the back of Moses' neck raise up, if he had any hair on the back of his neck. Verse 18, you and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. You're going to burn out, Moses. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. You got through one day, but you can't do this every day. And if you did, who's going to lead? I'm guessing there was something within Moses that said, okay, father-in-law says, this work is too heavy for you, Moses. 
I'm guessing there's something within Moses that said, no, it's not. I can do this. I can work harder. You see, I will not burn out. Don't tell me I can't handle it. I don't know. Um, anybody here? You know anybody here like that? If it's not you, if it's somebody you know that's like that. I, I kind of think that way sometimes. Verses 19 through 23, a solution, solution suggested. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. And so Jethro is going to come with advice. It's couched in God language. Um, may God be with you. That sounds spiritual, doesn't it? You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. And Moses is thinking, yeah, that's what I do. Verse 20, teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. And Moses probably thought, I would. That's really important. I want to teach them, but I don't have time because I'm, I'm busy. I have, all day long, I'm bringing justice to the people. I don't have time to teach them. Teach them. And Jethro is telling Moses, you keep the main thing and the important thing. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Teach them God's word and show them the way they are to live. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1? He said to the Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's what Moses was to be to the people. He was to be someone in the flesh that showed them how to live. And if they could see Moses, they get the idea. This is what godly person looks like. So this is kind of what I want to imitate. If, as Moses is following God, that's the kind of person I want to be. And then he says in verse 21, But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men, who hate dishonest gain." You say, Moses, you are a leader. Now, you select other leaders. You know what good leaders should be like. You select other leaders. Trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. They should be spiritually and morally qualified with solid character. And appoint them. Moses, you appoint them as officials over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. Moses, put them over groups. Some leaders have the ability to work with a large number of people, like a thousand. You put somebody over a thousand, and, and some people can, can uh, rule over or lead or work with a hundred people at a time. And there are some people who work with 50 at a time well. And there are some people who can handle 10. Moses, appoint people for these groups. And the idea is like establishing a court system with lower courts and higher courts. A court, you want to start with a court of 10. If you've got a problem, you take it to the court of 10. And it might be able to be handled right there. But if it's too much, then you take it to the court of 50. If it's too much, you go to 100. If it's too much, you go to 1,000. And then if it's too much, you go to Moses. But don't bother Moses with everything. Verse 22, have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. 
That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. Moses, you will have time to do the important things. Verse 23, if you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all the people will go home satisfied. One of the things Jethro is saying, Moses, this needs to be affirmed by God. Don't do this if this is not affirmed by God. This advice is not good. Trash it. Don't just take my advice. See if God is in it. Your workload will be manageable. The people will get the justice they need, and it will be much more efficiently, and they won't be waiting around all day for you. So, here's the order. Moses should accept. Uh, Moses should keep the main thing the main thing. Represent the people to God as a mediator. That's going to include some prayer. Teach the people God's instructions and show the people how to live. And then Moses should delegate authority to others to reduce his load. He should select men of solid character, appoint them over groups, and let them make decisions about justice and fairness. Sometimes that's really hard for for leaders to delegate authority and let other people make decisions. Moses should accept this advice if it seems fitting with God. Problem solved. Last section in our text, verses 24 through 27. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. And that would include, if he did everything he said, that would include running this by God and checking in with God and getting this affirmed by God before he goes ahead. He chose capable men from all of Israel. He made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times, the difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country, back to Midian. Moses listened. Moses selected leaders and delegated authority. And that's the passage. Now let's talk about some lessons. Number one, first lesson for today, don't forget the power of the good news. Don't forget the power of the good news. Remember, Moses shared how God delivered Israel from slavery. Good news. We have a responsibility to share good news that Jesus Christ offers forgiveness of sin. And we have a responsibility to share that, telling the good news of God's deliverance, that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. I didn't deserve it. Jesus paid it all. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. The word of God is alive and active. The word in the gospel The good news of Jesus is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word is living and active. And it messes with people in a good way. And we sometimes forget that. We, We have it. We have access to it. It's easy for us to share something that we know. It's not just a message that people don't want to hear. 
It is real. It is true. It is powerful. We forget that sometimes. Uh, the Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 1. He says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, that good news about who Jesus is. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation. It's not how smart you are. It's not how well did you present the gospel. It's God's power who changes hearts. It brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, even to a Midianite. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from the first to last, just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. The gospel is the righteousness of God. Good news. Don't forget the power. Secondly, don't forget to share the good news. Moses did. And, you know, the interesting thing about this story is that Jethro came to hear from Moses with great anticipation. He knew enough. He had heard more. Now he wants to hear it. And so he just receives it. It's easy for him to embrace the truth and to want to be connected with this true and living God. And sometimes God is going to bring people into your life that find it easy to embrace the truth. God has prepared their hearts along the way. Sometimes it's years and months before they come to you and you share the gospel and they just get it and they embrace it and they want it. And you know that's not true with everybody. It's People respond in many different ways. Some people hate it. They don't want to hear it. They'll cover their ears. And some people, yeah, I've heard that before. There's all kinds of ways people respond. But you don't know what God is doing. Some people sow the seed and they share it for the first time. And so it just sits there. And some people come along and water and add to it and and a little more understanding. And over time, this thing is going to take off. And... um, Sometimes somebody will come along and you'll share the gospel and it's just the right timing and people respond to the truth and they believe. Don't forget to share. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. This is the first church. Jesus telling his disciples they're going to receive power. They didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. They will have the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 and they're going to be able to uh, speak They're going to start in Jerusalem, their home base. They're going to spread out. They're going to go Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. That's world missions, by the way. Start at home, spread out, and go to the ends of the earth. But here's what I wanted you to see. Be my witnesses. You know, sometimes people get so weirded out on what does it mean. Well, it just means that you need to tell the truth about what you know. You don't have to tell about what you don't know. You don't have to have answered every question that everybody has. You just tell the truth about what you know. That's it. Be a witness. If you know that Jesus died for you, don't forget, don't be afraid to share that. You're not going to answer every Bible problem that anybody ever had. Just say what you know. You trust God? Say that. Has God answered your prayer? Say that. It's your story. What has God done for you? That's all, that's all it means to be a witness. Tell the truth. Romans 10, 12 through 15 Apostle Paul says there's no difference between Jew and Gentile or Jew and Midianite. The same Lord is Lord of all who richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Count on that. Verse 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? Well, they can't. How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? Well, they can't. 
And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? They probably can't. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's what God thinks. People who share the good news. That's what pleases God. Thirdly, don't forget to celebrate the good news. Moses and Aaron and the elders had a meal together in the presence of God. It was a celebration. They did it back then. Luke chapter 15. You know, with the whole story in Luke 15, there are are three stories. And it's all about something being lost and then something being found. And what's the message? Luke 15, 10. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. One person turns to God. There's a celebration in heaven. What would be a celebration here? We ought to encourage people. We ought to praise God. It's a worship event. We respond back to God and say, thank you, God. This is, uh, your, your power is being displayed in the life of a person. Somebody's sins are being forgiven. A life is being changed. That's something to celebrate. Don't forget to celebrate the good news. Fourthly, don't forget to be a lifetime learner and accept good advice, even if it's from your father-in-law. Don't forget to be a lifetime learner and accept good advice because you often need it. And I already mentioned Moses likely had some respect for his father-in-law before he received the advice. Think about this. Moses recorded his own learning for us. He accepted advice. You know what? And it wasn't even somebody who came with a great spiritual background. But it was good advice. It was wise. It was wisdom. Sometimes God gives us wisdom from people who aren't yet believers. It can happen. Proverbs 12, verse 1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. So, if you hate advice, you're not the wisest person. Not all advice is good. You know, you have to learn, you evaluate, you can process it, you think it through. There is a lot of stupid advice. But if your heart is just shut down to outside information and feedback, the Bible says you are stupid. Okay, last one, number five. Don't forget the spiritually healthy leaders. Delegate authority and responsibility to other spiritually healthy team members. This is what Moses ultimately he did. He chose people with solid spiritual character, help with the workload of ministry. This is what happened in the early church in Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Here's the context. Church was growing very fast in the thousands by Acts chapter 6. And there a problem had developed about how the food would be distributed to such a large number of people. And there were Gentile, um, sort of like orphan and widows, and there were Jewish orphan and widows, and there was an ethnic clash, a racial clash going on. Who gets the most food, or who gets fed first, or is there enough to go around? And so there's a problem, and they bring it to the apostles. And the apostles realize, we can't be making decisions like this all the time. And so they say, you choose from among yourselves qualified people. 
That's what they do. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And that's exactly what they did. They delegated responsibility and authority to make decisions. Um, we have the same thing in uh, the New Testament for the church, 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm not going to read this whole thing. I just want to remind you of the responsibility of leadership in the church. Leaders in the church are to be qualified spiritually. And the whole church ought to weigh in on, um, are these people qualified? An overseer or an elder, same, same, they're synonymous, is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, and it goes on. And it's just a reminder that we should have healthy spiritual leaders and, and authority and responsibility should be delegated to them. That's, we we uh, attempt to operate that way by the congregation has final authority at its business meetings. The congregation delegates authority to our elders to make certain decisions for the sake of the church and report back to the congregation. And as the church grows, we have to continue to delegate authority to people who are responsible and growing and trustworthy. And that's uh, how God's uh, people should operate. So that's it. Acts chapter 18. We're going to be in Acts 19 next week. And uh, we're going to go to the mountain of God next week. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, for the book of Exodus and the story of chapter 18. We thank you that these are given to us as examples that we are to learn from, that we not repeat the mistakes of the past, that we understand who you are and how you are at work, and that the knee-jerk reaction for us should be to turn to you to ask for help and to ask for strength and for, to ask for guidance. Thank you, God, for your power. Thank you for your grace and your patience with us. May our faith grow in you. May our confidence in you grow. May we be people who learn to depend on the word of God and to trust in you. For Jesus' sake, amen.